Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. It's good to be with you all this evening. We are going to go ahead and start, uh, even though we're a little late, sorry about that. We'll go ahead and, and jump right in this evening. It's good to be with you tonight uh, to be together. Um, and our, our plan this evening um, is to, to spend some time reflecting on the death and burial of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. That's our plan tonight, and so we've done this over the last several years. It's been a, a sweet time together as a church family. Just consider that for a second. That is a, a church family. We get to be together to reflect on and remember the death and burial of our Lord and Savior. I was thinking about that earlier as we, um, we gathered to pray that we have a church family to be with. We're not in isolation. We're not scrambling to try to figure this out. We're, we have a family. So I'm thankful for that. My name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here. If we haven't met, I'd love, um, love to meet you at some point. Um, this evening is going to be a little bit different than other evenings. Um, uh, it, it, uh, it's going to be a different gathering, more somber, more reflective, um, we're going to sing some songs together that may feel or may be unfamiliar to you. I was talking to Robbie earlier this week. We have a couple songs in our in our catalog of songs we do that we only do on Good Friday. Um, and you'll see why here in a second. But um, they may be unfamiliar to you, and that's okay. We'd encourage you to, to sit uh, if that's most comfortable for you tonight. We'd encourage you to stand if that's what you want to do, to kneel. Um, we're not ask, we're not going to ask everyone to stand or sit. That, that's up to you all. It's not awkward for, for anyone in the room, um, maybe other than for yourself. So just um, allow that to, to be the, the place that we're in tonight. We're here um, to remember the meaningful um, the, the, the meaningful piece of what Jesus came to accomplish, and he accomplished it perfectly. Often I think we, we get to a place of this meaningful remembrance and, and because, at least for me, maybe, maybe you resonate with this as well, at least for me, because we know the story, it can sometimes become familiar. And so my, my prayer over these last days has been that it, that it wouldn't be, that it wouldn't be familiar. You know what I mean? Like in, in a suspenseful movie that you've seen ten times, you just know when those jump moments are going to come and you don't jump anymore. My prayer has been that it wouldn't be like that. That we move into this weekend remembering what Jesus has done and what He has accomplished. And so the, the, the purpose of tonight is to bring that all into focus for us. For over a year now, we've been walking through the book of John and, and, and what has been one giant setup for this weekend. John spends half of the book in this last week. Hear this. Think about this. I, I sorted through this this last week. He spends half of the book, John, the author, spends half of the book in this last week of Jesus' life 
on earth before the crucifixion. These are important things. I'll, I'll bring it in even, even further. John spends these last seven chapters that we've walked through, seven chapters in one day of the life of Jesus. Since November 8th, we have been walking through one day of the life of Jesus. For over five months, we've been in one day of the life of Jesus. These are the most significant events, the most life-changing events in all of human history. If you did bring a Bible this evening, um, you can turn to John 19. If you didn't, you can just sit and, and listen, take it in as we read it. We've worked through the book of John um, with this weekend in mind. And so if you'd look at um, starting in verse 16, I'll read through the passage in its entirety this evening. And then we'll look at a couple things. Starting in the middle of verse 16, where we finished off last Sunday. Chapter 19. So they took Jesus... And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to His mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, 
the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of His bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on Him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where He was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. At times, I think our tendency is to think about the death of Jesus in negative ways. Now, I, I don't mean to say that, that it's not um, dark and it's not, um, it's not something that, that should bring about sadness. But I think at times our tendency is to think about the death of Jesus almost as if it should not have happened the way it did. That that some way God has made a mistake. And we think about it in that way. I was talking to Josh earlier this week and we were talking about these passages and he almost through tears said, I don't like this. I don't like this. I think at times we, we look at this and I'll confess there have been times I, I, I've leaned this way where I would say, how could this have happened? Why? I've spent the mornings um, over this last week reading the Gospel accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and there have been moments where I've grieved the, the death of Jesus. And of course, it is grievous, it's brutal, it's sad, it's unjust. But I've grieved it in a way of like, how could this have happened? Why? But none of this was an unplanned event. None of this was outside of the purposes of God to bring about salvation. None of it. In the passage we just read, we see the perfect plan of God revealed in the brutality and reality of the death and burial of Jesus. This was not a mistake. This was not an accident. This was not God working out His plans after the fact. Oh no, now what do I do? It wasn't that. No, the death and burial of Jesus was the perfect plan of God for His Son and His beneficiaries. We now, those who believe, get to be a part of salvation. All because of the plan of God. And we see it in this passage this evening. It was very clearly the plan of God. 
In the passage we just read, the plan of God's revealed and fulfilled in the death and burial of Jesus. We see it at least six ways. Let me just work through those quickly. The passage begins with Jesus carrying His own cross. Carrying the very thing that will kill Him. Carrying it to the place of a skull. Ironically, the author of life is carrying His cross to the place of His death named after a symbol of death. A skull. It was at this place where Jesus was to be crucified and we're told that He was crucified with two others. One on either side. Jesus right in the middle. It's the first place we see the plan of God being revealed and, and fulfilled. Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah said that this would happen. Isaiah 53.12, we see the, the prophet say, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Yes, Jesus was placed between two others who were deserving of death because of their sin. Jesus did not sin. We realize that, right? Jesus did not sin. Sin, yet he was numbered among them. Why? So that he could bear the sin of many. God's plan was revealed and fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. And we're told that Pilate wrote an inscription to put on the cross. The, the inscription read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. We're told it was written in Aramaic, in, in Latin, and in Greek. It was written in the predominant language of the Jews. It was written in the language of the Romans. It was written in the in, international language understood by, by the masses. Now what does that foreshadow? We look forward to Revelation 7. We're told that every nation, tribe, people, tongue, and language will stand before the throne crying out what salvation belongs to our God. It's just a picture of it, right? Pilate doesn't know how theologically accurate he is by putting it in languages to be read by the masses. The Jews didn't like that and wanted Pilate to change the sign. Pilate said, what I've written stands... The soldiers stripped Jesus of his clothes, humiliating him. It's humiliating. It goes all the way back to when sin entered into the world. The first man and woman realized they were naked and ashamed. And from that point on, it was a shameful and humiliating act to be exposed in that way. We're told the soldiers took his clothes and auctioned them off, gambling them off between them. God's plan to be revealed and fulfilled in that was this. His garments were divided among them. David wrote in Psalm 22, and in so many ways pointing us forward throughout that psalm, pointing us forward to Jesus, showing us in verse 18 of that psalm that they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. God's plan revealed and fulfilled in the humiliation of Jesus on the cross. We see it. God's planning for this. Beside the cross of Jesus was His mother and a few other women. When Jesus saw His mother and saw the disciple that He loved, John, He said to His mother from the cross, and Moms, I want you to think about this. Moms, think about this. He said to His mom from the cross, hanging from a cross. Think about that. Your child looks down at you 
and is planning out your care. He says to his mother, this is your son pointing at John. He'll care for you. John, he says, take care of my mother like your own. And from that point on, John cared for Mary. To fulfill Scripture when everything had been finished that was to be finished, Jesus said, "What I thirst. He was given sour wine to drink. To, to fulfill Scripture, to, to point forward to, yeah, this is God's plan. Again, in fulfillment of another one of David's Psalms, Psalm 69, 21, David says, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. It's a messianic psalm pointing forward to this moment, a very human need, a need for water, and the one who is the living water, the one who is the living water says what? I thirst. The one who told the woman in John 4 that if she drank the water he could, he could offer, she would never thirst again. And Jesus says, what? I thirst. I thirst. But He also said one of the most life-changing statements in all of history. He, he knew He had accomplished all He came to accomplish. And so He says, it is finished. And He gives up His Spirit. Listen, listen. It was not taken from Him. He gave it up. It was His to give up. He gave it up. God's plan revealed and fulfilled in the human need of quenching the thirst of Jesus on the cross. Verse 31 tells us that it was the day of preparation for the Sabbath during the week of Passover. The very day Passover lambs were sacrificed because bodies could not be left on the cross on the Sabbath because they couldn't work. The Jews asked Pilate to break the legs of these three men to speed up the process of their death so that they could finish it up, finish the job quickly before the Sabbath. Catch the irony of this. The Jews were concerned about breaking Sabbath regulations when the very one who came to fulfill the Sabbath's requirements was hanging on a cross in front of them. But to reveal and fulfill the plan of God, Jesus was already dead and His legs were not broken. His bones were not broken. This fulfillment goes all the way back to the first Passover. The original passing over. God had given Moses this obscure obstruction hidden in the book of Exodus. How to sacrifice the Lamb whose blood was to be painted on the door frames of the houses who, of those who would be saved. And here, here's the instruction speaking of the Lamb that was sacrificed. God says what? In Exodus 12:46, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. Think about that. For hundreds of years, God's people had this, this law in their mind, this instruction in their mind. For hundreds of years, they were thinking probably, why can we not break any of its bones? That's kind of strange. Why? The Jewish leaders, even in Jesus' day, knew this strange, obscure detail to be part of God's instruction. This had become a part of what they had known, but probably didn't know why. That this was a command of God. And maybe didn't even really care. But Jesus, like a lamb led to the slaughter, remained silent between two sinners. His clothing auctioned off, sour wine given to, to quench his thirst, gave up his life. But his bones were not broken. God's plan from Passover to Passover revealed and fulfilled. The Passover lamb fulfilled ultimately his bones not broken. His bones not broken in verse 30, 37 reveals yet another fulfillment of God's plan. His side was 
pierced. This fulfills a a seemingly obscure passage in the minor prophet of Zechariah, but John tells us even the piercing of his side was the fulfillment of God's plan. Zechariah 12.10, the prophet says, And I will pour out on the house of David and, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Hundreds of years previous, the prophet Zechariah said to God's people, uh, said that God's people would mourn and weep over the one who was pierced. And John grabs onto that and tells us this is talking about Jesus. His legs weren't broken. His side was pierced. And John tells us in verse 35, all of this happened. Why? Did you catch it? It's our theme. So that we would believe. All of the fulfillment of God's plan to crush His Son was laid out so that we would believe. Friends, I'd be foolish tonight to not stop right now now and call you to believe. God has a plan to bring salvation through His Son. Is it His plan that you're here tonight to hear that? Maybe ask that question. Is it, is it His plan tonight that you're here to, to hear this? Would you believe? I'd be foolish not to call us to believe. John tells us in verse 35 that, that He's written this. All of this has been fulfilled so that we would believe. God's revealing and fulfilling His plan in the death and burial of one, His one and only Son. We're told in verse 38 of John 19 that Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, the dead lifeless body of Jesus. And Pilate gave it to him. So Joseph took the body and Nicodemus joined him. Remember Nicodemus? All the way back to chapter 3, the one who wanted to know how to have eternal life. How can I have eternal life? He asks Jesus that question. How can I have eternal life? Now he comes to honor the body of the one who offers eternal life, honoring it with burial spices. They, they put the dead body of Jesus in a tomb, in a garden, near where he was crucified. Ironically enough, sin entered into the world in a garden, right? And we'll see on Sunday it was defeated in a garden as well. This tomb in the garden was a new tomb probably part of the family tomb of Joseph that he gave over. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a wealthy man. Why would these gospel writers give us this detail that that Matthew was a wealthy man, that Jesus was put in a new tomb? Here it is to fulfill what God had planned. Jesus was given the tomb of a rich man. In part, to reveal and fulfill the plan of God and the death and burial of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53, 9. Isaiah says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. With the rich man in his death. This was the plan of God revealed in the body of Jesus being laid not in his own family tomb, which he probably couldn't have afforded, but but laid in the tomb of a rich man, all to show that God's plans stand. Friends, tonight we pause to consider the death of Jesus. For the last five months, we've been in the last day of Jesus' life before this night. 
these months have been preparing us for this moment of looking at His death that He gave His life. It wasn't taken from Him. He gave His life to pay the penalty of sin. This was the plan of God our Father. John tells us all of this was accomplished perfectly so that we would believe. We're told in the book of Acts, I'll finish here, that Peter, the one who denied he knew Jesus three times over. This very same Peter spoke to God's people after the death of Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And in part, as we reflect on the death of Jesus tonight, we also reflect on the truth that our sin crucified and killed Jesus. Allow that to, to sink in this evening. Jesus gave His life to pay the penalty of sin, yours and mine. It was the plan of God to crush His Son. I don't get that. I don't understand it, but it was His plan to crush His Son. He was despised and rejected. He was pierced and crushed for our sins. Our sins were, were laid on Him like a lamb led to the slaughter. It was the will of the Lord to crush Him. The death of Jesus to pay the penalty of sin was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was His plan. And He had this all along so that we could have life with Him. Tonight we remember that. We reflect on the death of Jesus and what it accomplished. Let me pray for us. Father, we rest in Your plan. While we may not understand it or, or even agree with it, or while we may wonder why it happened, we rest in Your plan. It was, we were told in Isaiah, it was the will of the Lord to crush Him, to crush Your Son. That He would be born in, in human likeness, that He would humble Himself to the, to the point of death, become obedient to humble Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, a criminal's cross. Brutally beaten, despised and rejected, mocked, carrying His own torture device to the place where He would die. And all of that was in Your plan. You planned it this way so that we, in belief, could have life with You. This is not an insignificant evening. Father, we rest in Your plan tonight. For those who do not yet believe that You, Jesus, are Lord, I pray that You would be at work, Spirit, in their hearts, even now. You've given all of this for us. You've laid all of this out and, and planned it out so that we would believe. And so would You cause belief even tonight? Do that, we pray, all in the name of Jesus. 
Amen.